Hello, and welcome to Campus Crime Chronicles. I'm your host, Nicole Turner, college professor, PhD student, and true crime addict. In every episode of this podcast, I take a deep dive into some sort of true crime that occurred on a school campus or is associated with a college or university in some way. For each episode, I rate the seriousness of the crime from one to five on my very own serious crime scale, with one being completely not serious, possibly even a little humorous from time to time, to five being very serious. This episode is rated a four, but only because it's a case still unsolved, and sadly, it is a story that has the potential to be a five if police could only figure out what happened to missing college student Jason Landry. This episode is titled, Somebody Has to Know Something. So without further ado, let's get started. On December 13, 2020, 21-year-old Jason Landry had just concluded his first semester of college at Texas State University in San Marcos, Texas, where he was a sophomore studying sound recording technology. That night in December, he packed up his Nissan Altima and headed home for the winter break. It was a little late, around 10.55 that night, when he actually got on the road to make the two- to three-hour drive home to Missouri City, Texas, near Houston. Now, this might sound like an odd time of day to leave, but trust me, college students drive at all hours of the night just because they can. Sometimes it might be because they have a job and need to finish a shift before they head out, but other times it's literally because they're just so used to staying up late and staying up at all weird hours of the night, and I think that that's probably the time that they feel most awake and alert, and so to me, 10.55 p.m. isn't that weird. My college roommate and I once made a 12-hour road trip to Houston, um, and we left at midnight just because we thought it would be fun to drive all night. So again, to me, 10.55 is not that late for a college student. So Jason left around 10.55 that night, but he didn't make it very far. He was only about 30 minutes into his trip when, according to KNUE Radio, his family believes his GPS confused him and caused him to get turned around. An article in the Austin American Statesman reported that police believed Jason missed a turn and got lost. My GPS is super weird and has a mind of its own sometimes and seems like it always takes me a different way every single time I make the eight to nine hour drive to go see my dad who lives in Texas. So this definitely sounds familiar, like it's a very feasible explanation. According to the Caldwell County Sheriff's Office Facebook page, Jason entered the city limits of Luling, Texas on Highway 80, which is located in Caldwell County. I could tell you the specific streets and addresses of where Jason traveled and how he got lost, but unless you are familiar with the area or even just Texas as a state, it would likely make no sense to you. So I'll just say that Luling is a typical small Texas town, smaller Texas town, with a population of only about 5,400 people. 
So at an intersection he came to in town, probably one of very few major intersections in the town, instead of making a right turn, he continued driving straight, which put him going in the wrong direction, essentially. So he ended up driving straight onto East Austin Street, which eventually turns into Salt Flat Road. Now, Salt Flat Road is a country road outside of town, so that means it's gravel or dirt instead of pavement. So basically the pavement turned into a gravel or dirt road, which then became Salt Flat Road. So on that road, at some point, police believe he overcorrected on the gravel and spun off the roadway. Police believe the rear driver's side corner of his Nissan Altima initially made contact with a tree, which propelled the front driver's side into another tree and then into a barbed wire fence. The impact caused some extensive bumps and dents on the car, and it also caused the rear window to be shattered and broken out. However, they believe that Jason was not severely injured and was able to walk away from the crash unharmed. At 12.31 a.m. December 14th, not even two hours after Jason left his apartment in San Marcos, a volunteer firefighter drove up on the wreck. The headlights of the car were on, the keys were still in the ignition, and the front passenger side door was locked. However, Jason was nowhere in sight. He did not appear to be in the car or anywhere around it. A state trooper responded to the accident about an hour later around 1.30 a.m., Footage from the trooper's body and dash cameras shows that about 900 feet from the crash was Jason's backpack, a ball cap, a plastic bag containing personal toiletries, and a tumbler with Jason's betta fish in it. Um, a side note, they said it was actually a deceased betta fish, so I'm not really sure if something happened on the trip in the aftermath of the wreck that caused the fish to die, or maybe if the fish was already dead before he left and he was just taking it home to give it a proper goodbye or, or whatever. So regardless, they found a deceased betta fish in the tumbler. Also, the Caldwell County Sheriff's Office says his backpack contained, quote, his wallet, a usable amount of marijuana, a laptop computer, gaming equipment, and a few personal effects. Any report stating the backpack was filled with narcotics is inaccurate, end quote. According to police reports, though, neither the volunteer firefighter who discovered the accident nor the state trooper who responded to it attempted to enter the vehicle or look through it. Instead, the car was towed to a local impound yard, essentially untouched and unsearched. To me, this is incredibly important. I completely understand why the firefighter who came upon the scene did not attempt to open the car or look through it because, I mean, I wouldn't have attempted to do that either. If I found it, I would have just called it in just like he did. But I'm really not sure why the police wouldn't go ahead and search the vehicle for any clues, especially when they discovered the other items just 900 feet away. To me, once they discovered those other items, that says that something is wrong and we should probably look inside to see what else we might find. But again, apparently that didn't happen. At about 2 a.m. that morning, authorities contacted Kent Landry, Jason's father, to relay the news of the accident. Kent Landry is who the vehicle was registered to. According to NBC News, Kent immediately left his home in Missouri City, Texas, and made the drive to Luling, where he arrived just a few hours later. 
Kent told Fox 29 News in San Antonio that he arrived around 5 a.m. and was, quote, the only person looking for him, end quote. During his search, Kent went to the impound yard and looked through the car on his own. He was even able to open the driver's side car door, which was unlocked, and guess what he found that police didn't even attempt to look for? Jason's cell phone. It wasn't hard to find either. It had fallen into that little nuisance area of the car between the driver's seat and the middle console. You know, that area that seems to swallow up every tiny thing you've ever owned. Chapstick, ketchup packets, taco sauce. Oh, wait, sorry. That's just in my car, probably. I guess I should get back to the episode. Kent said after he found the phone at about 7 a.m., He then went to look around the scene of the accident and he found several other clues that police had either missed or perhaps saw, but blatantly dismissed. Kent found his son's clothing that he was wearing that same day and it was strewn all throughout the road. That clothing included a t-shirt, shorts, socks, underwear, slide sandals, and a wristwatch. These items were also located about 900 feet away from the accident. Kent explained, quote, I could tell it was his clothes because of his socks. He wears funny socks, end quote. However, Kent was concerned that he found the items instead of the police. He said, quote, they saw the clothes that night. They knew the clothes were there. They just didn't pick them out. They didn't think it was important, I guess, end quote. Investigators did process Jason's vehicle for DNA and any blood evidence. The only thing they found was a small smear of blood on his underwear on the top part, like around the band. But investigators think this was likely due to his run-in with that barbed wire fence, possibly whenever he was trying to get out of the vehicle. But no other explanation is offered about the spot of blood they found. Now, though, the only thing police have to go on to find out what exactly happened to Jason Landry is a 67-minute window between the time that Jason's digital footprint, his cell phone usage, stops and when the accident happened. So now that we know the story, let's go through that timeline. At 11.24 p.m., about 30 minutes into his drive, Jason arrived in Luling, Texas on Highway 80. Until this time, he was using the Waze app on his phone, which is a GPS navigation software. When he arrived at the intersection in Luling, he switched from the Waze app to the Snapchat app. This is when he ended up driving through that intersection and toward that gravel country road instead of making that right turn he was initially supposed to make. After this, his digital footprint just disappeared and no further activity was detected, even though he had full service and a full battery. So police are focusing on that window, that one hour and seven minutes from when he switched to the Snapchat app at 11.24 p.m. to the time his wrecked car was discovered at 12.31 a.m. However, no other information has been recovered or released since. That's pretty much where the story ends because the investigation is still open and that's all the information that's really available to the public at this time. Regardless, authorities have embarked on extensive searches of the area to no avail. The University Star, the Texas State University newspaper, reported that search and rescue teams began an initial search in December 2020 within days after the accident was discovered. 
According to the Caldwell County Facebook page, that first search included a nine-day ground search of more than 3,900 acres and a three-day aerial search of about 17,000 acres, which included drones, helicopters, and planes. Multiple sources reported that the ground search included volunteers not only on foot, but also on ATVs and horses, and they used dogs that are well-trained to look for any traces of human scent. ABC 13 in Houston reported that they even drained a pond in the area near Luling because officials believed it might contain some sort of clues or evidence that could lead to Jason, but they still found nothing. After that initial search, authorities called off the investigation until further information was recovered. That information would eventually consist of Jason's movements they tracked through his cell phone data and computer, which I shared with you all earlier in the episode. After discovering his exact locations and a timeline of his movements until his wreck, authorities began a new three-day search, which began at 8 a.m. on February 26th of this year. John Honstrider, Operations Chief for Texas Search and Rescue, told Fox 29 News that over 100 volunteers gathered for this second search, this time going over the area with, quote, a little bit more of a fine-tooth comb, end quote. Again, they used ATVs, more than 15 search dogs, and they had at least seven or eight drone teams all looking for any trace of Jason. But again, they still found nothing, no evidence of Jason anywhere. And I do want to point out here that those two major organized searches for Jason were not the only two efforts to try to find him. There have been multiple smaller searches from family and friends and volunteers during the whole time he's been missing. But despite all those searches and those efforts, they just haven't found anything. But his family still holds out hope. However, after not seeing or hearing from their son for now over 100 days, they're beginning to face a new reality. Just earlier this month, on March 8th, Jason's mother, Lisa Landry, told Fox 29 News, quote, We keep looking at pictures of him growing up. There's so much life there, and to know that he might not be there anymore, it's very hard, end quote. And with a shaky voice and tears in her eyes, Lisa added, quote, it's horrible to think that something's happened to him and we can't find him. And we don't know where he is. We don't know what he's going through right now. It's just horrible. End quote. Kent Landry, who is a retired attorney and now a pastor at Southminster Presbyterian Church in Missouri City, told Fox 29 News that something happened to his son and that someone somewhere has to know what that is. Kent said, quote, someone has to know something. Something happened to Jason. Nothing should happen between San Marcos and Houston that would cause you this nightmare, end quote. But from an outsider looking in, I still have tons of questions, so I can only imagine how many unanswered questions that Jason's family has too. For starters, reports don't clarify any information about Jason's usage of that Snapchat app. The Waze app, which his digital footprint shows him to be using as a GPS, stops when he approached that intersection in Luling. Then, according to police, he opens the Snapchat app, which is when he apparently stopped using the Waze app, and it's also when he proceeded straight through the intersection instead of making the right turn that he was supposed to make. However, nothing clarifies why he was using Snapchat. 
So it doesn't add up to me. If you know what Snapchat is, most people don't use it for GPS or map services. They use it to, to chat with their friends. Now, let me be clear. There is a map available in Snapchat, but it really just shows your immediate location and vicinity as well as other people's location and vicinity who are also using the app. I guess it just wants you to know that you can snap and chat with those other people who are using the app nearby. But it's critical to point out that it only shows your location and other people's locations inside the app. And only if you allow it to, you have to literally go in there and set your profile or your little thing to public to allow other people using the app to see your location. So I'm confused as to why he'd pull up the Snapchat app and use it in place of the Waze app. I mean, maybe he wasn't even using it in place of the, the GPS. Maybe he was just using it for its intended use. So I think police might have more information than they are allowing the public to know. For example, perhaps he was talking to someone or someone's via Snapchat. That's what it's for, after all. It's a messaging app that's designed for the exchange of texts and pictures and videos. But the messages disappear after a specific time frame usually seconds after it's viewed or opened by the person who received it. Hence, snap and chat. Okay, my other question is, why the heck were his clothes off? According to most reports, the clothes that Jason's father found the next morning were the clothes Jason was wearing that night before he left. We know this because Jason snapped a few selfies just before he left at 10.55 p.m. that night. Actually, those selfies were the photos used for his missing person flyers and posters. But guess what he's wearing in those photos? Yep, you guessed it. The exact same t-shirt, shorts, and ball cap that were found in the road at the accident scene. So why were his clothes off? Did he change before he wrecked? Or I don't know, maybe to go see someone from Snapchat? However, I will say the Austin American Statesman reported that Caldwell County Detective Jeff Ferry said they do not believe Jason was meeting with anyone in or around Luling. They believe it was an isolated incident. And according to the San Antonio Express, police do not think foul play was involved. So that leads me to say, literally, what else could have happened? I don't understand. I have pictures on Instagram that I want you guys to go and see. And I want you to tell me for yourself, like, what do you think happened? Because that still doesn't explain why his clothes, as well as a lot of his other belongings, were sprawled across the road 900 feet away in either direction. Did the wreck cause his stuff to be tossed out of his car? And another thing, what caused Jason to wreck in the first place? And when he did wreck, where did he go? Why would he just walk away? Did he just walk away? Or is there more to the story? His dad said he possibly could have swerved to dodge a deer in the road, which definitely could explain how he wrecked. Authorities, however, suggest that the marijuana they discovered in his backpack may have been combined with a, quote, unknown hallucinogenic substance, end quote, which may have been a contributing factor. I honestly don't know if I'm buying the police's theory about the unknown substance that caused hallucination, at least not the complete picture of it. I can't help but think there is much more to this story. Actually, 67 minutes more to this story, which would completely fill in the gaps of the strange clues and accident scene 
left behind. So I'm hoping that because this is still an ongoing investigation, we will sooner rather than later get the answers to these questions and any others that might help explain what exactly happened to Jason Landry. And I promise to keep you all updated as soon as more information is released and available to the public. Even though I don't have the answers to these questions, I do know that Jason's family thinks there is more to the story too. So I'm going to leave you with a tear-filled plea from Jason's father, who said, quote, I don't know who you are, and I don't really care. All I care about is my son, and we want to know what happened, and we want to know where he is. And if you know that, you need to come forward. We set up an anonymous line. I don't care who you are. I don't care about retribution or revenge. What I care about is my son. This has had to be laying on your heart and been eating you up from inside. And if you've known this piece of information for this entire time, it's had to be gnawing from inside. So I'm just asking you to let it out. Make one phone call. Let us know where our boy is. End quote. If you know anything at all about Jason's accident or disappearance, authorities urge you to call the anonymous tip line. Again, that's anonymous tip line at 726-777-1359. Campus Crime Chronicles is researched, written, and recorded by me, Nicole Turner, and it's edited and produced by Big Mad Media. Tune in again in two weeks for the next Chronicle. <laughs>